Welcome to episode 7 of The Baby Monitor, a podcast of family horrors. We're going to spend a little time with Lissa and Asher. We're going to spend a little time with the doctors that are trying to cure Asher. And we're going to spend another night in the Platt House. Ready? Here we go. Act 2, episode 7. And at last, Lissa Platt hears the word she's feared. Asher bit another child today. And she tries to talk over the next part, say no, so they have a conference scheduled that very evening. Say maybe the doctor will prescribe something, and can they please have a few more days to arrange for anything? And while she's saying all that, Miss Candace is saying Asher cannot come back to school. But we paid the month's deposit already. You can't just... We'll refund the deposit, and I want to make sure you know we don't have to do that. It's in the contract. If a child has to be removed because he presents a danger to the other kids, we... Lissa is not listening now. A danger to the other kids. A 14-month-old. How can he be a danger to anybody? And then with an icy chill, Lissa realizes that the only person her baby can really hurt now is her. He is a danger to her. Her life. Her career. Her marriage. She looks at the child in her arms, thinks, You did this to me. You did this to us. But Liz is too tired to fight. Too tired to insist or to threaten. She carries her baby to his car seat and buckles him in and cinches him tight. And then she gets into the driver's seat and thinks, You want to hear a scream? I'll give you a scream. She squeezes the wheel. She feels the tears coming. She lets the pressure build up. And then she lets it all go. DSM Axis 1. 30746. That's the name of the demon half the doctors in the room say has found a home in Asher. Night terrors. Sleep terrors. They happen when a body drifts from the deepest hole of non-REM sleep into the dream world of rapid eye movement. Suddenly the lashes flutter and the visions appear. That transition between nothing and something, sometimes the mind can't take it. And now Asher is in a spiral. The stress of not sleeping is making his non-REM sleep deeper, which is making his night terrors worse, which is making him sleep less. So all Richard and Lissa have to do is find a way to break the cycle. That's what half the doctors say. The other half, they say something else. They say night terrors only happen to four to eight-year-olds, not babies like Asher. They say night terrors come once a week, not every night. They say night terrors are inherited and neither Richard or Lissa has any history of sleep disturbance. They say children who have night terrors, they never truly wake up. They have to ride the terrors out until the mind can find a home inside a new dream, and so settle. Asher, on the other hand, most definitely wakes and cries for mommy and daddy. These doctors, the deniers, they don't have an alternate theory. They know what this is not and want tests to determine what it is. This is what they've gathered to talk about. Richard and Lissa and Dr. Horweed and her assistant James and Asher too, because there's no one else to watch him. The conference room at the local children's hospital is stupid. Brown carpet and blue walls and a long table. It's not a place for doctors and nurses, for high drama and high tech. It could be a meeting room at an envelope company or a bottle distributor. Richard holds Asher tight to his chest because he imagines that way he can block out the sound of the doctor saying she wants to take Asher to a wing of the hospital where she can study him 
shave his thin baby hair and attach diodes to his wrinkly baby scalp and measure exactly when the terror, the dream, the whatever it is, comes. Richard and Lissa are not on board with this, and yet, wouldn't it be nice to sleep? Horweed has blonde hair, and she's very tall in her wooden clogs. She says Richard and Lissa will stay in the wing for three nights, and when Asher sleeps, they will watch him on a TV screen. Another baby monitor. Richard says, and the aide says what, and Richard says nothing. How long will he have to cry before we can go get him? The doctor and the aide look at each other uncomfortably. This is the hard part. You can't go to him. We're trying to measure what's happening in there, what's delaying the transition into dreams. He'd have to self-soothe. We've tried this. He doesn't self-soothe. It's gone five minutes. Once we waited ten after someone suggested it, it doesn't stop. Ever. Ten minutes would be an extraordinary case. Unprecedented. The doctor betrays no emotion, but Richard feels her judging him, as if he is lying, as if he is weak, as if he never really waited any ten minutes. And the doctor is still talking, saying how safe Asher will be, as if the mind was somehow less horrifying than the body. Richard and Lissa promise they'll think about it. It is dark by the time they leave the children's hospital and climb the stairs to the upper deck of the parking structure where they stowed the Volkswagen. Richard carries Asher already belted into his seat, and by the time they reach the car, his shoulder is burning, filling with fluid. They snap the car seat into its base and back, and Asher groans in his sleep, but he settles before Richard even slides behind the wheel. He turns the ignition and waits for the engine to warm. What do you think? He whispers. Lissa does not answer. She waits and waits and then asks, Are we going? Richard puts the car in reverse, but doesn't let off the brake. Above them, gray clouds broke, and now the November sky is starry and bright. The Milky Way is so close it looks like they could swim in it. Lissa cracks her window and lets the chill in. Do you think the house is cold? She says. Richard shakes his head. It seems cold to me, just sometimes, at night, on the second floor. Isn't heat supposed to rise? Richard shrugs a yes. Seems like there's a draft. Richard nods. He has felt it too. It's a new house, Richard. Seems like they should have built it less drafty. I think we lucked out there isn't more wrong with it. I think we should do it. Do what? Let them take Asher, just for a couple nights. He just... We can't go on like... I'm not sitting there and watching him cry. I'm not. Why don't you want him to get better? Why do you want to give him to a stranger, make him somebody else's problem? At this, Lissa's voice rises. What stranger would have him? The daycare, we can't pay enough for them to take him. Why? She has not told her husband that Asher's been expelled, and he doesn't press for clarity. It is only eight, and yet each of them feels like their inner camera has completely malfunctioned. The stars above burn steady, but every time Richard or Lissa look out the window of the Volkswagen, they blur. And Lissa says, I'm just, I, I'm just tired. He can sleep with us tonight. Lissa nods. Are you sure? They, they said if he gets used to it, it could set him back. Months even. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. We all just need to sleep. One night. We can talk about children's in the morning. Richard pulls out of the space, punches the pedal. Before he's even up to cruising speed, Lissa puts a hand on his forearm and says, slow down. 
This is a scene they have played many times before. He drives them home, parks the Volkswagen, lets them through the garage door into the living room. He carries Asher up the stairs and sets him in the middle of their big marital bed. In the half-light provided by the hallway, Lissa puts on pajama pants and a flannel shirt, but Richard looks at those buttons the way her breasts push against them still finds her so pretty, still thinks about the woman underneath, about her secret skin. She brushes her teeth and scrubs warm water over her face. He flosses. He puts on sweatpants and a hoodie. They lay on opposite sides of their boy and pull the covers over their shoulders, careful not to disturb his sleep, but seeking his shape in the night, outlining it with their own. The last thing Richard sees before he falls asleep is the outline of the dark baby monitor. Richard's eyes open. How long has it been? He rolls onto his other side, checks his phone. He's only been asleep for 30 minutes. The thought makes him happy. He still has hours ahead, warm, sleepy hours cuddled in bed with his family. Richard feels a chill. He lifts his head from the pillow and sees that the bedroom window is open. He squints, trying to convince himself of what he is seeing. He did not hear Lissa get up to crack it open. Lissa, who complained the house was too cold. He gets up and slides it shut. There's a crash downstairs. It is loud, but so short, Richard wonders if he has imagined it. He stares at the bedroom door until he hears water run and a crumble. The ice machine in the refrigerator. Nothing more. Richard puts his hands up tugs on his hair, breathes deep, and closes his eyes, and it's like he might fall asleep on his feet. He needs to find the warmth again. Find the bed. He looks at the dresser, and sitting on it is the hammer. He is not sure how it got there. Was Lissa hanging pictures? He only knows he does not like it so far away from him. He crosses the room and picks it up, feels how heavy it is. He slides it onto the bedside table next to his phone. Richard crawls into bed, seeking sleep, seeking warmth. He is almost there when he hears a chirp. Again, the sound is so short, he believes he has imagined it. But there it is again. He gets back up and walks around this dark suburban home. Two steps and then stop. Two steps and then stop. Until at last he is standing directly under one of the smoke detectors, which is flashing. Three quick greens. Richard dreams about being able to go to bed, pull the pillows over his head, sleep through the ice machine and the smoke detector and all the nagging bits of his adult life, but he knows it will never happen. He scrummages in the kitchen junk drawer for a 9-volt battery. It takes him 10 minutes to locate a footstool. He has mounted it, has reached high above his head and pulled the little drawer on the smoke detector open, has wondered why it is empty. And why wasn't a battery installed when the house was built, has stretched up to slide the new battery in when he hears the screams. Lissa is screaming, and seconds later, her screaming has made Asher start screaming too. Richard runs up the stairs to find his wife sitting up in bed, frozen in terror at the now glowing screen of the baby monitor. It has come on by itself to wake them, to show them what emptiness looks like. The volume is up, and the static fills the room to its walls. Lissa points one bony finger as if she was accusing a witch, and said, it's talking. What? But Lissa cannot answer, and so Richard says the baby monitor is just picking up the neighbor's TV again. He walks to turn off the baby monitor, but he could swear he hears a whisper too. It might not exist at all, 
It might be the way the static hits the speakers. It might be Richard's own brain, forcing meaning onto nothingness, the way you might mistake a clothes rack for a man. But it sounds like the monitor is whispering over and over again. I see you. I see you. Thanks for listening to episode 7 of The Baby Monitor, a podcast of family horrors.